there are so many meetings there are status meetings check-in meetings you know meetings about the meeting meetings to plan the meeting we just don't need any of that right so what's the agenda what's the meeting type right is it an inform is it a decide is it a discuss what's the meeting purpose what are we trying to achieve what's the time commitment required not just in the meeting but for the project overall what's the rock or metric that it ties to who are the attendees and what are their and what are their roles so those are some of the things that we want to make sure are defined as part of our meeting charter for every single meeting we have and i think just putting the requirement in place to define those things will automatically reduce the meeting load right Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Mark Rosenthal. Mark is the Chief Operating Officer at HQO. It's a commercial real estate technology company. And in our conversation today, we have a wide-ranging talk about Mark's own journey into sales and sales management. And we dig into the critical milestones in his own development that have propelled him forward in his career. Mark was formerly the CRO at HQO, and we dive into the topic of what support that CROs need for management from their own team that perhaps they're not getting, and how is this reflected in the high churn rate of sales leaders? Then we explore what changed for Mark's sales team during the pandemic, and he talks about the lessons that he learned, and then shares how he has updated his organization in response to all of this. Before we get to Mark, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could leave us a review, give us your feedback about how we're doing. So thank you very much. All right, let's jump into it. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Great to be here. Great to have you here. You're joining us from where? I'm joining from Boston, Massachusetts, from our, Boston, uh, Massachusetts. our corporate headquarters. Yeah. Worldwide headquarters. Worldwide <laughs> so. corporate headquarters. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, well, tell us about HQO, HQO and what you do. Sure. So HQO is a commercial real estate technology platform. We help connect uh, people to their workplaces to better, uh, to better use their spaces, take advantage of the services and amenities, and then provide the, uh, the employers or the landlords with lots of data about how those spaces are being used, employee sentiment, and really better understanding about the, the value of the workplace experience they're creating, the likelihood of employee, uh, employee churn or turnover, and, the, uh, and, and better strategies and data to make CapEx and OpEx decisions. Um, so I'm the chief operating officer here at the company, but I spent a long, uh, a long time coming up through a sales track, and um, that's what I've done for for most of my career, all of my career. Um, and here at HQO as COO, in addition to running sort of the day to day operations of the company, um, I oversee all of our commercial teams: so marketing, sales, customer success, etc. So commercial real estate's kind of fraught right now. Uh, I was just listening to something last week that caught my attention that it's like a twelve trillion dollar asset class in the United States, and you know people projecting people are projecting that yeah maybe on a permanent basis a good quarter of it's just never going to be needed or mm-hmm. not needed anytime soon. So how's how's that impacting your business? 
So commercial real estate, you're right, is a huge asset class. It's the largest or second largest institutional asset class in the world, uh, multi-trillions of, of dollars. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of interest in understanding what the future of the asset class is and, um, and for our world, what the future of the office is. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of our a lot of our landlords and our and our tenant companies who we talk to and work with are really interested in figuring out the strategies that are going to help return employees to the office. Uh, obviously, they have financial interest in that as if you own if you own buildings. Uh, but for companies, they're focused <laughs> yeah, you, on you want people in them. Yes. <laughs> Uh, buildings buildings are only valuable if there are people in them, right? Um, right. So, uh, so you know, landlords obviously have incentive to bring people back and to partner with their tenant companies in new and different ways than they've ever had to before. It's not enough to just provide the four walls and the floor. You really have to provide uh, a, a, an offering, a service, um, an experience that makes coming into the office, sitting in all that traffic and dealing with the hassles of – you know, commuting and leaving the house and taking a shower in the morning and putting on real pants, right? Um, Right. uh, Worthwhile. Those are, those are trade-offs that people will have to make. And after almost two years of, um, of this, of this pandemic, people are, have built some, some pretty consistent habits and breaking habits, as we all know, is, is pretty hard to do. We think that landlords can help tenant companies to, to, to help their employees to do that. We think that tenant companies or, or employers have a great opportunity through technology to create a, a, a more unified workplace experience. And when we think about the workplace, we think about the workplace broadly, right? The workplace today is defined as anywhere you work. It could be the home, it could be the office, it could mm-hmm. be the Starbucks or, um, or anywhere else. And we want to empower the workplace experience, right. empower the employer and the employee, no matter where, no matter where they're working. Yeah, it's just that we're in the situation where it seems like their employees have sort of the upper hand, if you will, uh, in the face of you know the pandemic and the quote unquote great resignation, or as someone called it, the great reassessment. Um, yeah, that it's yes, you read about a lot of CEOs talking about yeah, we're gonna have people will all return to the office, and well, it's been a moving target, right, because of Delta and other other you know functions, but right. Are your people, the people, your customers saying that they have a degree of confidence that, you know, what, what people seem to be fairly firmly attached to sort of the hybrid model is, you know, they'll be able to bring people back despite the attachment to that model or what, what are you sort of sensing? And I know it's yeah, not an expert, but yeah, you talked to a lot of people in that field. Sure. My, my sense is that they certainly have a lot of hope. Uh, if and and some of them do have a lot of confidence. I also have a lot of confidence that people are going to go back to the office. I mean, we've been back. We've been back in our office with our whole team um, for for several months. Most of us came back. Many of us came back over a year ago. Um, so we were out for you know the first four or five months, and then started a slow return to office. And we did a lot in terms of the the carrot initially. So what are the incentives? What are the amenities? What are the things that we can do from an experience? standpoint to really, you know, win our employees back to the office of their own volition. And then eventually we got to the stick where we said, we're drawing a line in the sand. This is the date to come back. And we expect everybody to be back in the office, at least in, um, in some capacity. And, um, what we found was we got about, uh, we got a, a little over half of the employees back with the carrot. Um, and then when we had to use the stick, 
just about everybody else came back. We lost two employees through um, through the process, only two, and our mm-hmm. company is about two hundred people. So, you know, one percent of the of the workforce, uh, you know, lost due to uh, our our desire to have everybody back in the office. We have a uh, I'll say a, a flexible policy. It's the same policy we had pre COVID though, which is one day a week work from anywhere, um, mm-hmm. and that's that's what we that's what we tell our employees. And what's been really interesting since people have come back, I had a conversation with one. Of our engineers one morning about I don't know maybe two two or three weeks after we all came back to the office and he was like one of the last holdouts one of the last guys to right. come back and I saw him in the lobby of the building and we were we were coming up the uh, the elevator and I said um, I said how's it how's it been being back over the last few weeks and he said it's been awesome. He said, I was just in this habit of sort of like, you know, waking up in the morning and rolling out of bed in my in my pajamas and going down to my computer and just cranking and doing my, you know, doing my work and, you know, being in my, you know, being in my downstairs office. And I forgot what it was like to come and be with the rest of the team and to, you right. know, have that they have that energy and it's just so awesome to to be able to be back in the office with everybody and then he told me about how he was moving and that was going to change his routine again and you know he was trying to figure out his commute and all the stuff he's you know again as like one of the last holdouts to come back he's in the office we have a as i said a one day a week work from anywhere policy he's in the office every single day um so i think really we we have to figure out how to how to just create the habit of coming to the office anew Again, because routines are routines are routines. People don't like change, and it's hard it's hard to break that. But I I think there yeah. are a lot of benefits, and we can talk about all of them as we go here. Yeah, well, I was going to ask. So, what? Why was it important for you guys as a management team to say we need people here? Because this is you know, it, if you spend any time on the you know the, <laughs> the whatever you want to call it on LinkedIn, where you know no shortage of opinions. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of people fairly dogmatic about, hey, if you're an employer requiring going to require people to come back to the office, yeah, you know, large swath of people just aren't going to come back. Yep. And so, so your experience wasn't that, as you talked about, but why why did just starting with why did you think it was important? We thought it was important for a few reasons. So, number one, you know, we're a commercial real estate technology company and the product that we sell at least, uh, you know, the product that we make and sell at least at that point was really focused and still is really focused on workplace and workplace. Our definition of workplace, you know, six to 12 months ago was, was really the office, right? right? And we felt like it was important to drink our own champagne and that we had to be, we had to be in the office. And I remember sitting on calls with customers or sort of early, you know, early in COVID um, from the, from the office and them telling me that they were talking to all of our competitors and that we were the only one and we were the only ones who were actually in the office, and they were in their offices too, as uh, as real estate folks. And I said, "Well, it's really hard to build technology for the office if you're not if you're not there." And this mm. this uh, and one of the customers said to me, "Yeah, it's really hard to lease space if you're not in the space experiencing it." And I said, "Yeah, exactly." Right. So so number one was that you know it's the it's the business that we're in, and we felt it was important to 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 drink our own champagne or eat our own, we like drink our own champagne instead of eat our own dog food. More, yeah, um, more positive than eating your own dog food. I was going to say, that, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right, that's right. Um, our our head of engineering uses that one. So um, uh, number number two is we're a growth stage company. And so as we've uh, as we've gone through this growth spurt over the last couple of years, building relationships with the people you work with is really important for uh, for a few reasons. Number one, 
trust, and number two, empathy um, are, mm-hmm. are, are most are most important. And what we saw as was, was we hired more people and as everybody sort of retrenched to their homes in early COVID was an erosion of trust. And some of that is just due to the fact that the company is getting is is getting bigger. Right. And you sure. don't have the same level of trust, empathy and connection to employees in a 200 person company or a 500 person company. I worked at Google, right, a 100,000 person company than you do at right. a 20 person company. Um, but also personal connections build trust and, and empathy. And so we saw these silos start to erect between departments, finger pointing and blame game stuff and um, and felt like if we could get people back together and rebuilding those relationships and trust and empathy, that that would help us to break down some of those silos and be more effective um, and productive as a company. Um, So that's number two. And then number three is because we're onboarding so many new people and trying to ramp folks up, um, particularly on the sales side, um, our ability to coach and develop our team uh, really diminished during covid and we had to be really deliberate about putting systems in place and 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 processes in place to uh, to do that much more uh, much more deliberately uh, than we did than we did when we were all you know in the office together or traveling together, right? So we have a we have a feedback system here. It's really simple. After every meeting, we do a one up, one down. What's one mm-hmm. thing that went well? What's one thing that could have gone better? And we do it right. around the horn for everybody in the meeting. And typically. We do that walking out of the meeting. So when we go see – if we're going on a sales call and we go see a Mm -hmm. customer, we walk out of the customer's office and we do a quick one-up, one-down. And then maybe that night if if we're traveling together, we go to dinner and we do a much deeper breakdown of the day and the meetings we had and what we could have done – what we could have done better, how we can improve next time, what our action items are. In in this virtual world, we're all going Zoom to Zoom to Zoom to Zoom to Zoom to Zoom to Zoom, and it's really hard to to carve off the time to do those one ups and one downs to give the coaching and the feedback to our teams. And so, what we saw was a a slowdown in in ramp time for our employees. And so, we felt like getting people back right. in person. And that learning through osmosis, that feedback loop of the one up, one down, those opportunities to coach and, you know, to ride sidecar with your with your reps were were just irreplaceable in a, uh, you know, in a Zoom environment. And we've seen and we've we've seen the results from it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about it because it's it's. Yeah, a lot of people think that it's the way that we've been doing it. Uh, the last couple of years works just fine. And mm-hmm. I think what we're going to find this is at least my opinion is that, that perhaps as they get more experiences like you're experiencing is that you then begin to see the contrast of where perhaps it wasn't as good as you thought it was. Right. Um, well, it, it, there's no question you could get business done, right? I mean, you got business done and lots of companies get business done. I mean, yeah. For years, you've been able to do business virtually. That's, I mean, that's that's what the telephone yep. is for, and so on. But uh, yeah, I just wonder whether people overestimate the degree to which things have worked virtually and remotely. You know, we did we did an exercise at our last uh, at our last senior leadership team meeting, um, uh, which I which I had done a couple times with a couple times before with other teams. Um, I I took a it was a picture of it was a picture of Charlie Brown. Like a big, you know, picture of Charlie Brown. I uh, I cut it up 
into little, you know, sort of post-it size pieces and six pieces, right? Uh, broke everybody up into broke everybody up into teams and asked them to duplicate their picture on a big poster size piece of paper, right? So everybody had you think about it like a puzzle. Everybody had one of six pieces of the Charlie Brown puzzle. They uh, they ten x mm-hmm. the size of their of their picture, and then they had to go put the puzzle together. And they had at the end a Charlie a Picasso looking Charlie Brown. Right. And the the point of the exercise was everybody individually did a great job with their, you know, with their uh, blowing up of their of their picture. But when they put all the pieces together, it didn't all fit because it's really hard to drive alignment across a team when you're not all connecting and talking and working as a team to understand the bigger picture. Right. So that's you know, I, I just think there are so many benefits to in-person work and and look it doesn't have i'm not saying it's going to go back to the way it was five days a week everybody's in the office and 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 that's it but i do think there are a lot of benefits to being in office um, and a lot of benefits to teams you know working together collaborating and spending time building relationships that can't be replicated over zoom in the same way and i believe that the companies that are out in front of that trend are going to be the big winners down the road, right? I mean, from a sales standpoint, mm-hmm. I'd I'd rather be I'd rather be the guy flying to San Diego or New York or wherever to, to take my customers out to to lunch or dinner and talk about their business and whatever, than get the call that my customer was just being wined and dined by my competitor and they're gonna make a sh- and they're gonna make a move, right? So if 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 we have oh, yeah, competitors. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think the 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 willingness to go meet face to face, even though the yeah, there's this plethora of studies saying yeah, buyers no longer want to meet you know with sellers, blah 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 blah. It's like no, your willingness to go be face to face will become a differentiator here fairly quickly. Yep, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and especially for us, especially in in the commercial real estate industry, it's very relationship driven still, um, and that that stuff. That stuff matters. I I don't yeah. you know it doesn't matter to the same degree in every industry, but for for us it matters a lot. So how did you travel from Google to HQO? Uh, by car. It's a short <laughs> drive. No. Um, right. I I knew uh, so I had I had had the chance to meet uh, Chase Garbarino, who's our CEO and co-founder, maybe ten in 2010. I think, and didn't know him particularly well, but just knew him from around the market. He had mm-hmm. um, uh, he had a he had a company called uh, Bostino at the time. It was a digital media public okay. publishing platform um, uh, that put out content about the startup community and what was happening in the startup community. The company was acquired by um, uh, American City Business Journals and the mm-hmm. Newhouse families or parent company to like BBJ and Reddit and Condé Nast and lots of other great, uh, great publications. Um, but Chase was pretty well known around the market and I had the chance to meet him and we got to know each other, you know, very, very loosely over the, the subsequent, you know, eight or nine years. I'd get together with him for a cup of coffee every, every other year and we kind of ran into each other in the airport um, one day and uh, in early 2018 and said, Oh, Hey, it's been a couple of years. Let's grab a, let's grab a cup of coffee and catch up. And he told me what he was up to at HQO. And I thought there was a really interesting opportunity here with the business. Cause here, here, here's an industry in commercial real estate that has really no connection or understanding of 
the end user of the product, the people who are in and out of the right. buildings every day, how they right. use the buildings, who they are, what they like, what they don't like, what kind of value they're creating through the capital investments they're making or the operational investments they're making in the mm-hmm. space, the retail that they're bringing in. Um, and they had no, uh, and they had no, no data either. So what the, the problem that Chase was trying to solve as he articulated it was helping landlords to better understand how their spaces are being used to make more informed CapEx and OpEx decisions um, right. and to do that through technology and data. And having spent all this time at Google, one of the, you know, one of the things that I worked on while I was there was programmatic advertising, which was all about using technology and data to create uh, efficiency and intelligence in a system that previously hadn't had a lot of it, right? Buying mm-hmm. media was a relationship, right. was a relationship business. It was spreadsheets and it was, you know, dinners and all of that. Um, and then along comes programmatic advertising that makes that makes targeting better, that makes buying faster and more efficient, that drove up the performance for advertisers and down their their costs, right? And I thought that was just such a such a great win for the ecosystem overall. And we could apply the same principles to commercial real estate. And I got really intrigued by that problem as a as a business. Um, and so the opportunity to go and build that from the ground up was uh, was super exciting. So I joined in November of 2018. I was the 14th employee. And uh, and we've been off to the races ever since. And so you joined as CRO. I joined as VP of Sales and Customer oh. Success, okay. um, and then I and then I took over uh, and then I took over marketing and moved into the CRO role, um, and uh, and then uh, just this past July moved into the COO role. So, and so your first CRO role, what was you know, when you got into it? Was there like moment it was like. Huh. <laughs> was there something I didn't know that you know sort of surprised you about the job or some support that you thought you needed that you weren't getting? I mean, how'd you manage sort of your own development into that that function? Yeah, it well, so it was um it was and, and remains uh or I I had and, and continue to have like a major case of imposter syndrome. Um I I wasn't sure I wasn't sure how, what the job was I wasn't sure how to do it or how to be successful at it um, I wasn't sure why I was asked to to do it or be successful uh, or, or how to be successful at it I had right. never um, I had never run marketing as a function ever before in my career I had been for I'd been fortunate that I sat across from marketers you know since I worked in the in the advertising and right. media industry. I'd sat across from marketers for my entire career. That's who we sold to. So I at least had some basic understanding of, of marketing, but I'd never run marketing as a function. Um, you know, I was a career sales guy. I had some, you know, some touch on, on account management, but not really on customer success. So I just kind of went to school and started, uh, started reading and trying to learn as much as I can uh, or as much as I could about how to be a CRO. I talked to some other CROs that I, that I know I joined what was then the revenue collective and is now pavilion, um, Mm -hmm. which is a a great Mm -hmm. community for sale, you know, for sales professionals and now much, a much broader community for, um, uh, for, for, for business professionals in lots of different functions. Um, that's been a key resource for me in learning and development. Um, Mm -hmm. I tapped my, my network and my mentors and asked for a lot of help. Um, and then most importantly, I hired people who are better than I am at all of their functions. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that's that's the great strategy. You you mentioned, 
mentors, because something that I talk about on the show quite a bit is salespeople in general, sales professionals aren't cultivating mentors. You know, they sort of expect coaches to sort of be that, or their managers, frontline managers to be that. And I just interested, you know, who's been your mentor and were they, you know, somebody that you worked for at one point or, you know, someone that you met some other situation that's somebody you can call on. Yeah. So I talk to, uh, I talk to my teams and to other folks when I'm talking career development about establishing your personal board of directors, right? So the way that I sort of frame career conversations is that, you know, you're the CEO of Andy Paul Industries, right? I'm the CEO of Mark Rosenthal Enterprises. Like nobody cares more about my career than I do. Nobody cares more about yours than you do. So, you know, you have to, you have to operate that way. And, and part of being a great CEO is, is, finding the right board, the right board of directors to advise you. And um, so I've been really lucky, I think, in my career to have worked for some great people who I who I call on and to have met some phenomenal leaders who I call on for help and advice, you know, whether it's learning about a new a new role or assessing a new opportunity, a new career opportunity, like coming to HQO. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, you know, one of the, so one of the, one of the guys that, um, that I call, I don't call him that often cause he's super busy. Um, but I do call him for big, important stuff is, um, Mark Roberge, who mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think I know everybody, Mark, yeah. everybody in the sales, uh, in the sales world seems to know Mark these days, um, after his massive success at HubSpot and, um, uh, now it's stage two, but, Mark, I met Mark back in 2007 or eight, like really early HubSpot days. And, um, uh, Mark did me, uh, Mark did me the biggest, uh, I, I, I did myself the worst, uh, the, the the worst favor in declining an offer to join HubSpot as like the (laughs) second or third salesperson. Um, but Mark did me the biggest favor, probably the biggest favor of my career, in uh, about six or, or 12 months after we met, putting together, he put together a group of sales leaders from around the Boston area, folks that he had met uh, along his journey that he thought were, you know, smart sales leaders mm-hmm. that he had learned from um, and put together a quarterly, he, call, he called it the sales executive roundtable. And we'd get together once a quarter for dinner. And he structured the, you know, he structured the conversation. Everybody came with a, you know, with a, a nagging business problem. It was a great way to, to, you know, get to know each other and to solve problems together. And um, I met some phenomenal people that way. Um, I met a guy named Brian Schmidt who was running the Boston office for Google. That's how I mm-hmm. wound up making the move over to uh, over to Google eventually. Um, a guy named Jim Norton who went on to be the chief revenue officer at AOL and then through mm-hmm. the acquisitions, all uh, all of that whole journey through Verizon Media, Ryan, a guy named Ryan Burke, who was at Compete, which was acquired by Millward Brown, and then he went to Envision App, and now he's the CRO at a company called Catalog. Um, so all these guys who, we, who, who met when we were sort of, you know, at that director VP level, uh, you know, we've all stayed, we've all stayed in touch, you know, either mm-hmm. close, close touch or, or loose touch. But those are some of the folks that I call on from a, from a from a mentorship standpoint, those are some of the folks that I look to for for advice and guidance. And then I've had some great bosses that I that I look to uh, as well. My uh, my two two great bosses from my time at Google that I call frequently for for help and, and guidance. And uh, my very first boss, my entire career, a guy named David Strauss, um, 
who had a long uh, long run at Living Social for the up and the down, um, is uh, is another guy that I that I call on a lot. And uh, um, so I've got a great board of directors. I think it's a I great concept. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think it's a great a great concept for people to are listening to the show to to implement. Is yeah, who can you who can you talk to? Because it's not always going to be your boss. Oftentimes, it's it's not going to be for a variety of reasons. And but you need to have those people right. in your lives, in your career. And I, yeah, I mean, most of mine have been uh, people I'd worked for that just had a different relationship with that once we went our own separate ways, just been invaluable in terms of, to your point, advice at critical moments when you need it. Yeah. Yep. Who's yeah. your, who's your, who's your best mentor? Uh, well, it's a guy I worked for, um, back in the day, a long time ago, and was the most rigorously demanding person that I had ever worked for, uh, way smarter than me in, in so many ways. And what he, you know, he, <laughs> we bonded cause he, he, yeah, I was willing to learn and he was just, he taught me how to sell really large accounts, uh, which mm-hmm. I'd never done before. And, um, yeah, I just remember he'd call me on Sunday afternoons <laughs> and just want to talk about accounts and what I was working on. And it started to really concern me that, wow, he knows more about what's going on in my accounts than I do. <laughs> and part of it was just intuition and experience. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so I thought, yeah, he's probably unhappy that I wasn't seeing enough progress. And he was caught, pick up the phone and calling these people. Yep. And so I learned a very valuable lesson at a very early age. Just like, that's never going to happen again. Yeah, I'm never going to, my boss is never going to know more about what's going on in my accounts than, than I do. Um, but, yeah, I just operate with such high-level intellectual rigor that it was just a great role model. Um, yeah, just learning how to operate with intention every step of the sales process. Uh, you know, yep. that there is no such thing as an unimportant sales touch. And what are you doing to, to help the buyer make progress in their journey? That's because that's our focus, right? It's not about right. selling a product. It's about helping them make a decision. So, yeah. Yeah, he's been a, somebody I could talk to for, for a long time. Um, yeah. So those people are valuable. And I did, you just talked about your first bosses. Um I just had my first boss, literally my first boss ever in my career from over four decades ago uh, on the show just with last year. We'd sort of awesome. re- reconnect on LinkedIn and, and yeah, they was able to tell all sorts of embarrassing stories about me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Out making those initial cold calls. Um, <laughs> those were the days, let me tell you. Um, so, well, you know, yeah. just one of the things we want to touch on is, is – when we had communicated before the show was, was that you've sort of rethought your organization sort of in response to the pandemic and, and how things get done. So what have you done differently or are you doing differently? Um, what are we doing differently since, uh, since COVID? Yeah. Now, now we're back to, uh, now we're back to a lot of what we were doing pre COVID because we've got so many people, back in the office and, uh, and we're, and we're operating pretty similarly to the way we were before. Um, I think the, the, 
biggest changes that we've implemented are less a factor of uh, or less driven by COVID and more driven by the growth of the company mm-hmm. just as we as, as we scale. So, you know, some of the things that we're some of the things that we're doing are um, aligning, you know, realigning resources internally. We've done uh, we've done we've invested in some some great training for the teams to get everybody aligned on the same uh, on the same story. We worked with Force Management. Um, mm-hmm. They're a great. They're a great group, and they helped us with our we. They helped us with our messaging and our and our sales process, and we're rolling that out across the entire across the entire team. Um, from a product standpoint, we've made some adjustments to how to what and how we're we're selling the markets that we're going after, um, and, uh, and and really tried to drive more focus around our what we think is our our core purpose and our long-term goal and strategy uh, and align the entire company to that um, we've introduced uh, we've introduced things like a uh, like a company operating cadence that's visible mm-hmm. to everybody in the company so everybody knows when everything is happening when are we doing sales kickoff when are we doing department qbrs when are we doing our senior leadership team meetings every quarter when's the exec team going off site for the quarterly strategy retreat mm-hmm. um when are our engineering sprints right all of that is uh, is shared across the company so maximum uh, maximum transparency uh, which helps to drive alignment and accountability as well. Um, we've introduced a, a, a regular quarterly senior leadership team meeting, which we which we weren't doing previously. So we get our entire senior leadership team together in person once a quarter to make sure that the the strategy is cascading throughout the organization, that the entire senior leadership team is aligned and on the same page, so that. As they go back to their individual teams and departments and groups, they're uh, they're able to execute, knowing what the north star is that they're uh, that we're all trying to achieve. Um, so those are a handful of things that we've uh, that we've introduced. Yeah. We're also we're also uh, we're also working on some other more tactical things, but that are really important, whether whether COVID related or not. Things like um, meeting like a meeting charter. So you know when you're if you're going to have mm-hmm. a meeting, I talked I talked earlier about how it's like Zoom to Zoom to Zoom to Zoom to Zoom right. or in person meetings. Same thing. We're all back to back. It's uh, it's pretty crazy, and um, I'd like to I'd like to reduce the the meeting load for the company number one and number two make sure that the meetings we're having are really focused and that the people who are there all have a have a critical role and need to be there like my one of my biggest pet peeves and i know it's for for a lot of people is um you know for for me personally is being in a meeting that i don't have a role in or don't need to be at and for meetings that i am in where i have a role seeing other people who don't have one on you know checking their email or (laughs) you know just kind of kind of tuned out it's like why are you why are you here why do we even invite you um and it's not on them that's on the that's on the meeting owner right so putting together a meeting charter to to define like the meeting goal and the agenda the purpose the attendees all of that kind of stuff so just one small example well i was talking to somebody yesterday about a similar topic and they were saying that as part of their meeting charter is you know there are no hour meetings there's 45 minute meetings you know Mm -hmm. they're trying to build make sure they're building in space before and after the meeting for specifically the purpose you talked about before, so that you can have the casual conversations that, especially if you're in person, that don't happen over Zoom when everybody just terminates the call. But, you know, the pre-meeting and the post-meeting, the casual post-meeting, so that, yeah, yep. as you said, the, sort of the plus one and the minus one. Or yep. one and, and down making one. sure. Yeah. And, make, and making sure that that's all call, called out in the meeting agenda, along with mm-hmm. what is the, you know, what's the specific 
company rock or objective that this meeting is related to. Because if the yeah. meeting isn't related to one of our big company objectives, we shouldn't have it. Exactly. Right? We do so many sta- – there are so many meetings that are, you know, status meetings, check-in meetings, um, you know, meetings about the meeting, meetings to plan the meeting. Um, right. we, just don't, yeah. we just don't need any of that, right? So no. what's the – what's the much yeah, what's the what's the agenda? Um, you know, what's the what's the meeting type? Right? Is it an inform? Is it a decide? Is it a discuss? What's the meeting purpose? What are we trying to achieve? What's the time commitment required? Not just in the meeting, but for the project overall. What's the right. rock or metric that it ties to? Um, who are the attendees, and what are their and what are their roles? So those are some of the things that we want to make sure are defined in, in, as part of our meeting charter for every single meeting we have. And I think just putting the requirement in place to define those things will automatically reduce the meeting load, right? Well, it certainly make them more effective. And I mean, they're really things that you should be doing on a, for a sales meeting, right? For, with That's a right. customer. That's right. <laughs> you, want a, That's right. you have the same requirements. So, so That's last right. question for you is, is, um, and I got this question yesterday from somebody on, on LinkedIn. I thought, okay, well, I'm talking to Mark. This would be a good guy to bring it up with. Someone more toward the beginning of their career, sort of in the first, AE role. Um, he said, look, I want to be a CRO. What should I be doing? Mm. What should I be doing to put myself in a position over time to be able to have that role? So what advice would you give somebody who's sort of earlier in their career that, you know, wants to aspire to be a v- VP of sales or a CRO? Um, what's the, what's the path they should define for themselves? Okay. So a, a couple of things. One, get yourself a personal board of directors. <laughs> Right, which we, we, which we already talked about, right? Yep. Um, two, hit your numbers. Three, put your head down and just do do the work, right? Um, mm-hmm. Don't don't get so far out. Like the th- the thing that uh, the thing that I that I hear a lot, particularly from entry like entry level or, or junior folks, is I want to be a CRO and I want to be a CRO in three years. <laughs> like, why don't you yeah. why don't you why don't you close your first deal and then let's talk about your next deal. And then mm-hmm. after you hit quota consistently for, uh, for a little bit, maybe we can talk about a, a manager role, right? Mm-hmm. Like let's, let's have a re- So I, I guess the other would be have a realistic view of the time horizon and the path and understand all of the things that you need to learn and do to become a CRO. And then last, uh, and then last piece is, uh, is, is read, be, be a learner, read, read right. a lot. So what would you what would you recommend for somebody just getting started? Things best things to read and start learning. Sure. Um, so I think if you're if you're just getting started as a seller, um, read the Challenger Sale. That's a great it's a great book. Um, as you're getting into sales management, read Mark Roberge's Sales Acceleration Formula mm-hmm. and understand how to start building teams and building a sales organization. Um, and then as you're thinking about becoming a, a CRO. Read books about read books about leadership. Um, read books about company building. Uh, books like um, books like Good to Great, which is mm-hmm. a you know a, a never ending classic. classic yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the uh, uh, Extreme Ownership is another is another great one. Blitz Scaling by Reed Hoffman um, mm-hmm. are some good ones. Uh, I just finished reading uh, The Ride of a Lifetime 
which is Bob Iger's book about his journey, right. uh, you know, to to Disney CEO, and um, I thought it was an, an outstanding read. I mean, there's just there's so much content out there. I keep a uh, I keep a very long uh, a very long reading list um, for things that I want to for things that I want to get to. Um, some of the things that are on my reading list now uh, that, that I haven't started yet, but my reading list right now is uh, the One Thing, the Ideal Team Player. The Leadership Advantage, The Talent Code, Principles, which I just started uh, by Ray Dalio, uh, mm-hmm. The Speed of Trust, um, I Can See great Naked, book. The yep. Speed of Trust. Great book? Oh, yeah. Great book. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good. Um, I look forward to reading. Another great one um, for folks who want to be a sales leader is uh, The Qualified Sales Leader by John McMahon. Um, yep. I think that's that's a that's a like like Mark's like Mark's book. That's a, a great one in terms of sales qualification methodology approach. How to run a deal cycle. How to uh, how to run a forecast meeting. Um, mm-hmm. And then you don't just read it. You got to absorb it. Right. Read it. Right. Learn it. Live it. Um, that's the advice. Well, it's the value the value of books. Right? I was having this discussion with somebody just this week. It's like there's lots of great short content out there, but the best learning and studies have buttressed this. The best learning comes from long form content. Right. And then, and then you have to, and then you have to apply it. Right. Yep. And you have to test it and see what the, the biggest struggle that I had actually, one of the biggest struggles I had early, uh, early in my career is I was, you know, I was reading a lot of these books and, you know, some of them say the same thing in different ways and mm-hmm. some of them say different things. And so figuring out amongst all of this great sort of content and, and advice, what I can make, what I can make my own, right? What's my, right. what's my flavor? What's exactly. my style of, of all of this stuff? Um, so, you know, you got to read it and then you got to test it and see what works for you and what can be authentic and, um, and ad- adopt those things and forget the rest and move on and keep reading and keep learning and keep growing and developing. That's right. Keep experimenting. So, yep. um, excellent. All right. Well, Mark, well, thank you so much. Thank you. This was great. I really appreciate yeah. it, Andy. Yeah, this was fun. Look forward to talking again. Yeah, ditto. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Mark Rosenthal, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.